Well, hello there, everyone, and I uh, hope you're having a blessed and wonderful day. Um, today, I thought we would look at some scripture, and uh, <laughs> as if we wouldn't, and um, uh, take our minds off of everything going on in the world uh, right now. And so what I'd like to do, if you are into it, if you are excited about exegesis, if you want to dive a little deeper into God's Word than just simply reading a devotion in the morning, then turn with me to John chapter 1. Verses 1 through 18, uh, this is called the prologue of John. Uh, the other three Gospels start out with a narrative uh, about uh, either the birth of Christ or, or uh, the, uh, the lineage of Christ, but John does not, John being the synoptic Gospel that does not start out with these things. And so um, uh, in John 1, 1 through 18, John gives us a prologue, and he just begins to immediately begin describing the nature of Jesus Christ, which is a major point for John's book, is to describe uh, the nature of Christ, to give the uh, aspects of Jesus uh, as God and as a human being. So we're going to go through these 18 verses. We're going to break this down just a little bit. Um, so let's start at verse 1, and we'll go by verse by verse so that we don't go too far too quickly. Um, so in verse 1, it says, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." Uh, and so this is immediately a, a, a verse packed so tight with theology. Uh, so in the beginning, so in, in eternity past, the Word was there. It was existing. In fact, it was pre-existing creation. Uh, the word beginning there in Greek is arche, and it's the same word that the Septuagint uses for Genesis 1.1. And arche, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so the Word was at the beginning before creation. The Word was with God. So we have an example now of the Trinity. We have the Word existing with God. The Word was, is, is in fellowship with. It is in accompaniment. It is, it is uh, 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 enjoying this fellowship together. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. Now, here's a, a little place where immediately, if you don't believe that Jesus is God, you immediately have problems with this verse. Um, the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, uh, add a word in their translation, the New World Translation, which is a horrific uh, translation of the Bible. It is uh, uh, completely uh, given over to their pet doctrines. And they add in the word A, and the word was a God. Now, besides the fact that that word A is not there in Greek in that sentence, the word A doesn't exist in the Greek language as an indefinite article. It doesn't have an indefinite article. The Greek language. It's only the definite, the word the. So they add in a word that they can't get out of the language itself, much less the text they're looking at. And why? Why do they add a word, the word a there? Because they want it to read, and the word was a God. And then begin to subtract from the deity of Jesus. They want to take away from his deity. And why? Because they are monotheistic Unitarian which means they believe in one God and only one person, uh, Orthodox Christians believing in uh, monotheistic Trinitarianism, which is one God made up of three persons. And the other reason we know that is when the sentence reads, and the word was God, the word and there is the Greek word chi. And it means and, as translated in your English Bible, but more importantly, it is the conjunction that gives continuity so the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It is giving the Word the quality of deity, thereby making the Word God. 
Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. So again, we see that he was pre-existing in eternity with God, in fellowship with God. Verse 3, all, thing, all things were made through him, and without him not anything that was made. So Jesus is the catalyst for creation. He not only pre-exists creation, but creation could not happen apart from him. Also note that he himself is not created. Scripture says that he creation comes through him. He was not created. In him, verse 4 says, was life, and life was the light of men. So Jesus is bringing this eternal life now. He is bringing the joy of eternity to sinners who have no joy because sin has stripped them truly of love, of joy, and of peace. Sin gives pleasure, which is not the same thing as peace and joy, and it masquerades as peace and joy. Pleasure makes you think that you're having joy, makes you think you're having a good time. Um, a Snickers bar is a little bit of pleasure, but it doesn't make you joyful the way a Thanksgiving meal makes you joyful. Why does that meal more joyful? Because you're, you're with the people you love. You're with family together, and that's what makes it uh, truly joyful. So being with Christ in life, and life was the light of men. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So again, packed tight verse. The word for light in Greek is the word phos, where we get the word phosphorus, this kind of burning, you know, immense bright light that you can't look at. Um, this is not a little candle that's flickering in the darkness and, oh, oh you know, we're going to be scared if the darkness will snuff it out. No, this light is a burning. This light is a, lava, a volcanic explosion of lava coming out. It shines in the darkness. The darkness is death. That's you and I. Our death was this darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Death cannot defeat Jesus. Think about Jesus when he was put, his body was put into the tomb and the stone was rolled in front of the entranceway and put him in deep darkness. When I was a boy, I used to like to go to the uh, caverns and caves and um, uh, in Florida and in places like Kentucky and and, and they take you down in these caves and, and, they, and they have all this artificial light so you can see. And then they get you to a certain spot and they tell you, we're going to turn the lights off. And you're like, okay, I'm, yeah, that's fine. I'm not afraid of the dark. But then they turn the lights off and then it's the most pure darkness that you could ever experience. I mean, you can't see your hand right in front of your face. You don't really see, you don't really feel your body anymore. It is, you, you, you almost are lost, you know, and lose yourself in it. And that's the darkness of sin. That is what death has done to you and I, has given us where we can't even see our hand in front of us. We can't see righteousness. We can't see God. So Jesus has come into the world. He has brought light to this world. And the darkness, death cannot disrupt that light. Death did not defeat Jesus. How do we know this? Because we have witnesses of him out of the grave, coming out of the tomb. He's shown himself to witnesses. And speaking of witnesses, verse seven, uh, uh, verses 6 and 7, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, not John the disciple, the author of the book, but John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, being Jesus, and that all might believe through him. So John has come to bear witness, as the Jews would have required according to Levitical law. John has come to bear witness about Christ, he came to bear witness about him that they might believe through him, not just in him, but through him. See, that's so important. 
You cannot believe in Christ for salvation. You have to believe through Christ. Christ is the one who has done the salvific work. Christ is the one who has taken your sin. Christ is the one who has given you righteousness. Christ is the one who saves your soul, not you. See, I can believe in a lot of people, but to believe through somebody, to believe that they're going to do for me what they say they're going to do, that takes faith. It takes a lot more than I'm willing to give any human person. But God, God has done this for us. He, he was not the light, verse 8, but he came to bear witness about the light. So again, we see that he's not Jesus. He cannot accomplish the, sal- the saving work of salvation that you and I need. Only Christ can. He simply came to bear witness about the light. Verse 9, the true light, that which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So Jesus has come now and brought the true light given to everyone, not restricted to just the Jews or just the Gentiles. Or And, and we're seeing so much strife about who can be in what group nowadays. Christ has come for all and given his light to all. The same way the sun, when it rises as the earth rotates, and lights up an area, it brings light to everyone. Not just those who are hoping in it and grateful for it. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. There's a lot of people in darkness who still get the light. They still see the light. The light is still shining upon them. And they live by it without ever giving credit to the God who put it there. So this true light gives light to everyone has come into the world. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. The world rejected him. The world said to Jesus, we don't want your salvation. We don't want what you have to give us. We don't want to turn from our sins. We want to keep doing what our flesh desires, and that is to get for us. Even more so, verse 11, it says that he came to his own. And his own people received him not. He came to the Jews, of which Jesus was. You know, I, I used to laugh when I was an electrician going into houses, and you could see uh, in, in, a, in a black family's house, they'd have a picture of black Jesus. And then and then the Latino house, the Hispanic, they had a Hispanic Jesus. And then in the white people's house, they had white Jesus. And Jesus was not any of those ethnicities. He was Jewish. His people were the Jews. You, we can read the lineage from Rahab to, 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 to Boaz and to Jesse and King David and going all the way down to Joseph and Mary, they were Jews. Jesus was a dark-skinned Jew because he lived in the desert. And he walked everywhere and he was outside all the time. This is the ethnicity of the incarnation of Christ. And yet, and I've seen it in church after church that I've even preached in. you got beautiful, white, blue-eyed, long, brown, apparently straightened hair Jesus. Apparently he had a straight hair straightener that he would plug in somewhere, maybe at Peter's mom's house, or <laughs> um, and straighten his long locks. No, that's not what Jesus looked like, and we know it's not. That's not objective truth. And Christians, we need to be truthful, certainly about that. So he came to his own, his own people, and they did not receive him. Why? Why didn't the Jews receive Jesus? Well, a big part of this is what the Jews wanted. See, the Jews were reading the uh, messianic prophecies of Isaiah and in the Psalms, and they're wanting a leader, a, a person to come in and free them from the Romans. They're hoping for another Moses type to lead them on an exodus 
you know, out of Roman rule, not out of the physical area of Jerusalem because they want to keep that, but out of the uh, spiritual oppression and physical oppression of the Romans. The Romans were were literally just lording over them, cr- uh, keeping them down, crushing them, and uh, uh, Jesus did not come that way. He did not come to free them physically, and they wanted it. There were Zionists even back then. Oh, there goes the microphone. They wanted it. They wanted him to lead them in battle and defeat the Romans and smash Caesar and and, and be free of that oppression. But he wouldn't. What did Jesus say? If you destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. He wasn't talking about the physical temple, was he? He was talking about himself. And they rejected him for it. Now, we know in the sovereignty of God and God's plan that, that, that they were meant to crucify him because Jesus was going to die for our sins. His crucifixion, while gruesome, had a noble and perfect purpose in God's plan. But they still rejected him. And it's very easy to point fingers and say, oh, look how bad they were. They rejected Jesus. When the truth is, you and I so easily could have rejected Jesus, couldn't we? so easily could have been in the crowd shouting, Barabbas, crucify him. His own people received him not. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So again, packed tight verse, but to all, pas in Greek, anyone of all kinds, you know, any, any person, who did receive him, who believed in his name, so who put their faith in Jesus Christ, he gave the right to become children. He justifies, he takes away sin, and he justified us before God and gave us the ability to bridge, to go across that bridge that he laid down with the cross with his life and get to the throne room of God. In in the old temple, before the Romans destroyed it in 70 AD, they had what was called the Holy of Holies. And even though the Ark wasn't there anymore, because it had been carried off, the priest, uh, even when the Ark was there, the priest was the only one who could go in to where God was. The average person, you and I, couldn't go in. And even the priest, they had to tie a rope to him in case God struck him dead for some unconfessed sin, and he, and they would, they would have to pull his body out. Nobody could ever get to God in the Old Testament. You had to hope that your sacrifices were good enough. And I see this all the time now. People who want an Old Testament Judaism form of salvation. They want to walk down the aisle. They want to take the, the preacher, take them by the hand. They want to say a certain prayer and then get stamped on the forehead saved. Me coming down in front of everybody and being embarrassed. That's my sacrifice. And that's it. That's Old Testament salvation. That's not New Testament salvation. New Testament is repent and believe. During the uh, COVID-19 crisis, the Catholic Church finally admitted that people didn't have to go to confession. They could simply pray to God on their own. Something Protestants have been saying for over 500 years. But I digress. Let's not keep picking on the, picking on the Catholics. Um, so to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, justifying them. Verse 13, who were born again, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God's will. So God's will is central to your salvation. It's not based on human will. It's not based on your will. I mean, we're getting into Romans 9 now. Who can say 
but the Lord. It is not based on your will. And people people get so upset because they just immediately think of little Johnny or some or some grandmother or some some person who oh you know don't uh, they, they can't just choose God you know it's so uh, what if God doesn't choose them no the gospel's gone out to the whole world we are proclaimers of the gospel and there is no one in hell i believe this from scripture there is no one who has ever sincerely sought Jesus and been rejected by him what did Jesus say if you come to me i will not cast you out See, the thing that we don't want to admit about our sin, about human sin, is that every person in hell and every person who's going to hell is because they hate God and they will go to hell hating him. That if you were to open the doors of hell, they would cry out in wrath against God. Not for mercy, not for forgiveness. Think about the rich man in the Gospels. Does he he ever ask for God's forgiveness? No. Send me some water. Tell my brothers about me but he never once considers God, never once asked for God's forgiveness, never once asked for salvation in Christ, never. And that's how it is now. So we are born not of the will of the flesh, because the will of the flesh is sinful. The will of the flesh is, is, is wickedness. It is, I mean, we're seeing the will of the flesh displayed on our TV screens and on our social medias every day. The will of the flesh is death. And we're not happy when there's a worldwide global pandemic who, that's killing people. we got to have something else go wrong. That's the flesh. Flesh is death. And it leads to death. And if you exist solely in the flesh, it will lead you to death as well. And then verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus inhabited human flesh. God in heaven left the perfect throne room. He left perfection of glory and came down and dwelt among us. The closest that I can, th- I can think of is for you to leave your house, leave your beautiful you know, home and clean bedsheets and, and clothing and go and live in the trash heap with the worms and make that your home. Why? So that you can save them from themselves. This is what Jesus did in the incarnation. He came to where sin was. Because God, the Father, cannot have sin before him. He's in heaven on his throne. He cannot. And so the Son had to go where the sinners were, the cesspool of the earth, and redeem the Father's people, so that they could be brought to heaven. I mean, the incarnation is a beautiful thing. And and people get so hung up sometimes on, was he fully God, or was he fully man, or was he a little bit of both, or, you know, uh, this or that. Uh, Orthodox Christianity, since the Council of Nicaea, has had fought this question with, with Arius and Arianism, that he was both fully God and fully man, because the Bible says he knew all things, he knew what people were thinking, but he also, the, the scripture says he grew especially as a child, he grew in knowledge. So he was both fully God and fully man. And why? You cannot kill God, as much as Nietzsche would would have liked to. You cannot kill God. So if he was only God, then the crucifixion wouldn't have worked. He had to be a man so that the crucifixion worked and he could die for sin. But he had to also be fully God because only God can cause resurrection. 
Three days later in the tomb, he rises again. So both fully man so that he could die, fully God so that he could live and live eternally. Verse 15, John, again, John the Baptist, bore witness about him, cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So again, we see the pre-existence of Christ as demonstrated by John the Baptist. Verse 16, for from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. Jesus has held nothing back from you. Jesus has given you everything you need. Jesus has supplied every want you could possibly have. In his fullness, he has given you grace. And why grace? We talk a lot about justice in this world. We even talk a little bit about mercy, but we talk so little about grace. Uh, The best examples I can give are driving uh, uh, traffic violations. I was going down the highway one day with my brother, and this was late at night, and this person come up behind me, just zooming up behind me, nobody else around. I'm in the slow lane going the speed limit. He comes zooming up behind me, tailgating me, honks the horn, blah, 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 flashes his lights, and then zooms around me, you know, I mean, just instantly hitting speeds of 80 or 90. And all I could think was, oh, I just so wish there was a cop around here. And then across the highway, I saw the nose of the squad car coming across the highway, the median, chasing off after the car. Next thing I see are lights and the car being pulled over. There's no way he didn't get a ticket because the cops saw everything. And I was going, yes, justice, justice. But then I've also been the one. I picked up my daughter from school one day, and uh, we uh, uh, got up to the stop sign, and I barely stopped. I mean, I barely hit the brake. I just kind of looked. Oh, I got it. Good. Go. And who was coming but the sheriff. And he pulled me over, and he said, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? And I said, yes, sir. I did not stop at that stop sign. (laughs) And he said, okay, ran my license, and and he came back and said, I'm going to give you a warning. Just make sure you stop next time. And right then, I was so grateful for mercy because I was the one who had broken the law. Grace is both of these things put together, that our sin has been justified in Christ. God has given us mercy. Why? Because of grace, unconditional love for you and I. That's grace. See, if we only had justification, if we only had mercy, we wouldn't have enough. Grace brings these elements together and gives them to us. Verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we have two equal sides here. The law was given. Why? So that it would convict of sin. If there hadn't been a stop sign, and if there hadn't been a speed limit, neither one of uh, those two stories would have happened. Because without the law, there's no wrong. The law shows you what you've done wrong. The law convicts you of your sin. Moses brought the law, and it is good. But Jesus brought the fulfillment, the culmination, the grace and truth that comes through him. This is the fulfillment of your salvation, your soul being given over to God. Why? Because, verse 18, no one has ever seen God physically. The only God, the monogenes theos, the unique God, who is at the Father's side. So here again, we have God who's at the Father's side. How can this be? Monotheistic Trinitarianism. (laughs) He has made him known. Jesus has brought God and you together. You would not have been able to get to God. You would have not been able to know God. Jesus brought you together. 
And John opens this book with this prologue simply that so that we will know these amazing things about Christ so that when we so when we start reading the narrative in John we already know that he's God he is savior and he is the fulfillment of God's plan for you and I the prologue of John is a beautiful beautiful text and I'm hoping maybe that I'm stirring up some people out there to uh, turn to the Lord to turn maybe to this text and read this with all this craziness going on. Here's something for you and I that we can look at, that we can enjoy, that we can say, here is my Savior. No darkness can defeat him. Nothing can destroy his plans. Nothing can disrupt his will or his ways. He is for me, and I need to be for him. This is good stuff, guys. This is very, very good stuff, and I hope that the next time you turn to the book of John, you will look at this prologue, you will read what God is doing here, and you will say, I know, just a little bit more now. I hope this has been a blessing to you. Um, this is probably going to go out both on uh, Joppa Baptist Church page and the Sunrise Apologetics, so you can look for that both there. Um, and uh, we will hope to encourage our church this week. Let's, uh, let's close in a prayer and ask God to impart what we've just talked about to our hearts and minds. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. Lord, we ask that you would just print this prologue onto our souls. Lord, that we would not forget what your Son has done for us, how you have brought grace to us. Lord, and that your Son took on flesh so that he could be our Savior. He is the Word, and he was with you in the beginning. He is God. Lord, in that glorious example of the Trinity, and he is our Savior. We thank you, Lord, and we ask all these things in his name. Amen. God bless everyone.